All right, welcome everybody to the podcast. We are, of course, just have just finished our practice scripture series uh, based on and coming out of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says there's a wise and a foolish disciple, and they both hear the teachings of Jesus, but the wise disciple is the one who puts the words of Jesus into practice. And so we're walking through these different practices throughout this year because we want to integrate. We want to integrate the words of Jesus into our lives so that we can be more like him, so that we can act like him, say the things that he would say. And so just hearing things, just knowing things uh, isn't enough. And so we we utilize practices or our spiritual disciplines as a way of integrating and making it part of the way that we live and act. So uh, this particular uh, last several weeks at Mill City, we've been talking through practice scripture and what does it look like to read scripture and what does it look like to 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 think about scripture and how does scripture inform our lives and study and all that kind of thing. So uh, for this podcast, I'm so excited to spend time with my dear friend and one of our overseers, Glenn Packiam, pastor of Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa. So uh, this is going to be fun, Glenn. Yeah, hey, Aaron. Great to sit down I have always known you as a great Bible teacher. Like, I think you unpack the scripture so well. Um, and but I, and you and I have known each other for 25 years. I've met your parents, all mm-hmm. this. And, 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 and you talk about your mom, uh, maybe especially, but I'd love to, for you to maybe just unpack a little bit of your story. Uh, even just like, how, what did it look like yeah. for you as a younger boy to <laughs> like under like love the word yeah. or study or you know just yeah. the journey well it's great to talk to you Aaron and uh, you're a great preacher yourself and uh, I you. think one of the reasons our, for our friendship is our love for the, the, the word of God um you know for me my, I grew up in Malaysia and my parents like kind of got pretty radically saved in their adult mm. lives my mom was a nominal Christian my dad was a Hindu, you know, he got saved right at the beginning of their marriage, but then both of them got, you know, experienced what they would call a, like a born again mm. moment where they really put their faith in Jesus. And and then shortly into that time, they got invited to this Bible study that this uh, local Baptist pastor was doing. So th- I watched them kind of really dig into the word of God. In fact, <laughs> my, what a, I don't remember doing this, but there is evidence of this. Um, I, my mom had this like brand new study Bible that she bought because of this Bible study and all that. And I was, I don't know, probably six years old. And I like found it and scribbled in it one day. And I wrote, I love the Father. I love the Son. I love the Holy Spirit. I wow. love them all. So I was uh, simultaneously a Vandal and a Trinitarian, <laughs> yes, you know, theologian. Yes. So <laughs> at, at age six. six, at six, yeah. Um, but I, I watched my my parents really loved the scriptures, and my mom is the teacher. She has this kind of this real teaching gift, and so in my homeschool years, this is this is you know fast forward now. I'm 13, 14. We've been in America for three years. Moved back to Malaysia, and so I had to. I couldn't get in public education again in Malaysia, and so we were we were doing this homeschool thing, and one of the gifts of that was I I would try to finish my work uh, early, and then I would try to sneak in across the street at this Bible college that my parents worked mm. at, and my dad was And kinda, how old were you? Yeah, I was probably 13, 14, you know, mm. so uh, my dad was like the principal, and my mom was just one of the teachers, and she taught these classes on the Old Testament. And I would try to get my work done so I could sneak in the back of the mm. class and listen to my mom teach First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second, and I just, I loved it. Mm. I loved listening to her teach the Bible. And actually, the three years prior to that, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, they, we, you know, we'd moved to 
Portland, Oregon for my parents to go to Bible college. And they would just talk to us at dinner table what they were learning about in their mm-hmm. Bible college classes. And and so it's kind of weird, but like I would I remember even those three years in Portland, 10, 11, 12, 10 through 13. Uh, if I would get sick and had to stay home, I wasn't binge watching TV. Of course, in those days, there was no stream, <laughs> streaming right. anyway, right? Um, I, I would listen to sermon cassette tapes, and I would listen to these cassette tapes from their Bible college professors. So I would just, I became a Bible nerd early on. Yes. And was grateful to have been surrounded by opportunities to be able mm. to, to, you know, learn. So, and then you were a theology, what was your majoring? Yeah, at ORU, I was a theological historical studies major. So less Bible focused, strictly speaking, it was historical theology, so church history, systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, some some New Testament, Old Testament classes in there. But then in seminary, um, I didn't I didn't finish at Fuller, but I, I began working my way through kind of a general theology master's, and then went on and did the doctorate in theology. But but all along the way, I mean, obviously, the connective tissue there is just a love for the Bible. Yeah, I love um, the ways that. You know, the whole story. I mean, to think that at six years old you were doing that, and at 13 you were sitting in your mom's Bible classes, and now to look at you now. Um, like, what would you say to somebody who's like wants to, or is maybe new to the Bible, or is, or I'll ask it there first. Where do yeah, they start? Yeah, then I'll ask yeah. a follow up question. Yeah. yeah. Man, you know, the gift of being alive today is there's so many resources mm-hmm. that can help you. Um, I, I think one of the best ways to start is the Bible Project. And I know you guys totally, talk a lot yes. about that here at Mill City and we do at Rock Harbor. But they have a whole library of short videos, like five-minute kind of videos. And honestly, the, one of the best things you can do, I think there's a video called What are the, well, What is the Bible? And there's another video called What are the Major Themes of the Bible or something like that? Or What is the Story of the Bible? And, and it gives you this meta-narrative mm-hmm. view of the Bible. And I would say that even though I began kind of learning about reading the Bible, studying the Bible at an early age— I didn't. I didn't zoom out and see the meta narrative until much later in life. Yeah, same. Right, and 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 I think if someone was starting from scratch, I'd say, man, get one of these overview videos from the Bible Project, and in five minutes, see the big arc mm-hmm. of the story, and then you kind of zoom in with the details. And I honestly, like, it's a little bit like someone catching up on the Avengers movies, like <laughs> Phase One or whatever of the Marvel universe, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, g- kind of give them the the big structure, and then you zoom in and you get the micro stories of this is the origin story of you know uh, Doctor Who or not Doctor Who? Uh, what Doctor am I saying? Strange. Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, I just lost all cred with yeah. your Marvel list. I just lost all all cred. Um, but I think it's like that with the Bible. Like, get the big frame, big meta narrative, and then you can zoom in and get okay. So, what is the origin story of David or of Abraham or mm-hmm. Ruth or whatever? So, yeah. Okay, so on the flip side, mm-hmm. so that's the person who's maybe new to the Bible and getting a big overarch. What would you say to the person who maybe is like grown up in church their whole life and has kind of heard a lot, all the yeah. Bible stories, gone to Sunday school, yeah. all that stuff. And in some ways, the Bible's almost like a little old, yeah, yeah, you know, or boring or kind of the, and it, it's not that they want it to be, but it mm. just is like, what would you you know, Aaron, I, it's such a great question because it, it, you're right that sometimes being in proximity mm-hmm. to the Bible can turn you off to it. You can it can kind of inoculate you to what you're supposed to approach as the living Word of God. And I I think there are five, probably more, but at least five um, misguided approaches mm-hmm. to the Bible that unfortunately you pick up 
from being in church. Okay, so I'll just I'll just walk through them. I, the the first one is to treat the Bible like a textbook. Mm. And this could be that, you know, you grew up in a church where Sunday school, Bible classes, so you memorized all the facts mm. about the flood and about like how many years in exile was it? So it's textbook type stuff. And and okay, it's not bad. Read the Bible for information. Sure. Mm-hmm. But if you if you if maybe you kind of subconsciously got the message that that's what the Bible is, well, nobody wants to just pick up a textbook. Like nobody <laughs> says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. and read a textbook. Nobody says that. Right, right. So that's not going to help us. And then this, a second misguided approach is a rule book. And this is unfortunately for so many people what they in, internalized about the Bible mm-hmm. from church is this is a collection of God's rules, God's instructions. You know, one one saying was. The Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth, you know, mm. which is wrong on so many levels, you know, mm. let alone that the end of the story of the Bible is not us leaving earth, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's not just a rule book. And again, who would want to sit down and just read a rule book? And then and then thirdly, it's maybe like a cookbook. Mm. <laughs> and this is the idea that if I just found the right passages, Aaron, I could find the recipes for a, a happy life, the recipes mm. for a perfect marriage, the recipes for a good career. And some preachers, again, have given us that impression that the Bible is full of little recipes that you a little of this plus a little of this plus a little of that, and boom, you know, out comes uh, the, the, the model perfect life. Uh, a fourth misguided approach is to read it like a magic book. Hmm. And, and this is similar to the cookbook, but the magic book is maybe a little bit more for our charismatic friends where we don't even need to know what the original story was. Mm. We just found a phrase that sounded awesome, and we're going to pray that pray, that phrase mm. 10 times loudly with music, <laughs> screaming it, and then boom, like miracles will happen. Mm. Like, wait, wait a minute. This is not a book of spells. Mm-hmm. And if you if you think that the Bible is a cookbook or a magic book, you, you're going to be disappointed, and you'll stop reading. And that's what's happened to a lot of Christians is they're like, well, I read it, and then it did. my life didn't turn out that way. Or I claimed the scripture, and I said it over and over, and it didn't work, mm-hmm. you know? Or I know most of the basic information. Yeah, 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 right. And I, what, what, what else do I need, you know? And then the, the fifth and final one is to treat the Bible <laughs> like Facebook. And, <laughs> and I know probably nobody's really using Facebook anymore, but the idea is inspirational quotes. Mm. So I'm just looking for these inspirational quotes, you know, and... Again, Aaron, like when people start reading, actually sitting down to read the Bible, and mm-hmm. they realize it's mostly not inspirational mm-hmm. quotes. You know, you'll, you'll quit in the genealogies, or you'll quit in the back historical narratives, or you'll quit in some of Paul's instructions. <laughs> or and, read some of the stories about somebody killing somebody, or somebody, you know. Yeah. These, you know like, I'm not putting that on a... Not very inspirational. No, I'm not sharing that on any meme or whatever. Yeah. You know? So... So I think for for some of us, we need to acknowledge that we've approached the Bible in a misguided way. Mm. And then, ironically, the same step for that person is the same as the the new person, and that is to zoom out and catch the meta-narrative, catch Mm. the big story. It is a grand... The Bible is is many things. It's many different genres. It's many different authors. It's many different contexts. But there is one grand story, Mm. one grand drama that's being played out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's as you... As you mentioned that, you know, I think I I did grow up in church. I don't remember ever not being in church and knew the stories and I always liked church and liked the Bible and all that kind of thing. But when, you know, you mentioned later in life, same for me, understanding the grand narrative, mm-hmm. um, especially in terms of resurrection and new heaven, new earth, mm-hmm. all that, um, that understanding the bigger, broader, it's almost like I started reading it again. Yes. And I thought, wait, what? Now this means that. Yes. 
Yeah, no, it's exactly right. The different stories all of a sudden take on more mm-hmm. meaning. I mean, one one tiny example is you mentioned the new heaven, new earth. Part of when you see that that that's the the final act of the mm-hmm. of the drama of salvation that the Bible reveals, you recognize that the Creator intends to redeem everything that He created mm-hmm. and that He's made it possible for creation to be renewed. Then you go back to a common kids story like Noah's Ark. And all of a sudden, this is not some cute story about a man and a bunch of animals, you know, a floating zoo. <laughs> but this is actually a story of a God who goes to great lengths to preserve his original creation. Mm. It's not even in the first place a story of, of judgment. You know, again, people think, oh, my gosh, what kind of a God would flood the earth? You know, mm. so so people, so imagine this. This is also kind of relates to deconstruction. If you think the flood story is a cutesy story about a floating zoo— then you go later in life and you get kind of this crisis of faith and you think, well, I don't want to believe in a God who destroyed the whole earth. So all of it's false. I walk away from it. But the reframe is to say, hang on a minute. What if you knew that the story was a God who was going to redeem and renew all of creation? What does that tell you about this God? Oh, he's a God who's always looking to save, who's always looking to make mm-hmm. a way out. Then you re- revisit that flood story and all of a sudden this is... There were ancient myths of of angry gods who flooded the earth. The, 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 there's a Mesopotamian flood myth, you know, and and now you realize the Genesis flood story. What's remarkable about the flood story is not an, a, a god who got angry, but a god who went to great lengths to actually rescue and preserve mm. his original creation. And the two by two animals thing is precisely so mm. that these this male and female of each creature could continue to multiply and be fruitful. And so. So anyway, all, all, all of the, the micro stories beca- get reframed by the macro story of the mm, Bible. So good. Uh, okay, you just mentioned deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we live in an age where, I mean, not only is maybe that popular, but mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately maybe um, uh, somewhat normal or at yeah, least, yeah. at least um, uh, you know, a lot of people engaging it for lots of, I Different, think in some ways, maybe even good reasons. Yeah, but, yes, yes. But maybe one of the reasons mm-hmm. that contributes is a, a belief in whether or not the Bible has authority. Um, and so if you think, well, I, this is just another book or mm-hmm. this, you know, how do you navigate? What do you, what would you, how would you address maybe the, the perspective on yeah. authoritativeness of the Bible? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, first of all, the, uh, as you're, uh, you know, kind of as you're saying, I want to just affirm, like, there are many good reasons to deconstruct. There are some faiths, versions of faith, that are worth deconstructing, that are worth tearing down. So deconstruction is not automatically this bugaboo or this bad word, right. you know. Um, honestly, some of what we were handed needed to be torn down. Mm-hmm. I think of what Paul says where he says the stuff that's of wood and hay will burn mm-hmm. up in the fire. You know, so mm-hmm. some of that needs to be burned up. Um I, I think I'm my heart for people wrestling with that is the first thing I want to say is I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you were handed a view of the Bible that was weaponized, maybe. Mm. That sometimes the people who are deconstructing the authority of the Bible is because all they ever knew of the Bible was a book that was weaponized against them mm. to, to to make them feel um, full of shame, to make them beat up. And so, but you know, the first thing I want to say to anyone listening to this is I'm so sorry that mm. that someone did that. I'm so sorry that. The Bible was was weaponized in that way, and it's not meant to be that. The Bible is supposed is is truly is beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and and it's a beautiful story about a beautiful God who has a, a a beautiful way of wanting to redeem the world that He made, the world that He called good and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then secondly, when we think about authority, um, Christians have a have a unique kind of view of inspiration and holy text. 
So I grew up in Malaysia. Malaysia is predominantly officially a Muslim country. And, and the, the, the Islamic belief about the Quran, for example, is that it was this download one day. You know, Muhammad got this download and starts writing everything down. That's not what Christians believe. Mm-hmm. Christians believe in that the Bible comes to us in this dynamic mm-hmm. uh, interaction between God and his people. And that's it, it's really unique, Aaron, because... Um, it, it shows us a God who condescends, a God who comes down to our level. So that unlike, say, again, that Muhammad story of basically this boom, download from the heavens, some visitation all in one night, the, the Bible comes over a span of a number of years, mm-hmm. hundreds of years, you know, maybe a thousand years, and, and, and depending on when you know, all the written stuff is. And, and it comes through several different authors, mm-hmm. So we're not, when we say the Bible has authority as God's word, we're not saying it's a dictation from God. We're saying it's an indication of how God loves to work. Mm-hmm. God loves to reveal himself by coming, coming down on our level. Like I think of like an adult with a child, get, getting down on your knee, looking at, he loves to come down on our level. He loves to meet us where we are. And so because that's how the Bible arrives to us, how we read different parts of the Bible matters. Mm-hmm. You, you, you might read uh, something in Joshua about these conquest narratives, and you can't stop there and be like, oh, so therefore God is all about mm-hmm. you know, annihilating our enemies. Like, whoa, 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 keep reading. Mm-hmm. And when you keep reading, you discover that, that actually the people of God are on a journey of, of revelation as well. And God is disclosing himself to his people um, at a rate that they can manage. Let's say it mm-hmm. that way. And, and I mean, Paul kind of says this in Galatians. He says, he says the law was like a guardian. Was like mm-hmm. a was like a teacher. It was like training wheels. I heard one New Testament scholar explain this in his commentary in Galatians. He says, in a way, the law was like braces. Mm-hmm. You know, like our teeth <laughs> growing crooked, and the law like. But the end game is not that you have metal in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And the end game is that your teeth are just straight. You know, so the end game for God is that His Spirit would be put inside mm-hmm. of us. That He would give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. So I, I'm saying all that to say, okay, so you, when you when you read the Bible, you're reading uh, uh, the story of a dynamic interaction between God and his people, and it's gradually unfolding. So what he says in Joshua is his word, but it's not the last word on that subject. Um, the last word on every subject is Jesus. Yeah. And, right. uh, and, and well, how do you get that, Glenn? Where is that? That comes from Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 says God in, the, in various times, in various ways, has spoken to us through various means. But now in these last days, mm-hmm. he has spoken to us in fullness through his son. Mm-hmm. So what we must never forget is Jesus is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is the word of God in so much as it witnesses to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It shows us this, this journey of God revealing himself to his people, which culminates in Jesus. So that's a, that's a long that's way. That's great. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That's no, such a great answer. I mean, I think, and you bring up so many good, like, Random points. Yeah. In the, I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> There's a I lot mean, of breadcrumbs no, there. But maybe, I mean, yeah. like, like you know, it could be easy to think, like, man, I can't believe in a God who was about genocide. You know, read the yeah. book of Judges yeah. or, yeah. Um, you know, all these different things. I mean, one of the things I think we need to embrace about the Bible is that it doesn't, God doesn't clean up the mess. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Of humanity. Yeah. Except for the fact that he redeems it through yes. Jesus. yes. But um, something I think, I don't remember where I learned this, um, so I think I'll take credit for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> As you've always said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I've always said. Um, but the, that, that if we, we need to, now that we have Jesus and we understand the Gospels, we, can, we need to look back through yes. the Gospels to yes. see the Old Testament. Yes. 
um, Colossians. If you've seen, is it Colossians? If you've seen me, if you've seen the Father. Well, Jesus says it in John's Gospel. I think at the toward the end, he, he says, you, you know, yeah. But so yes. to better understand yes. the God of the Old Testament, yes, we look through Jesus to yes. understand God. Yes, and and so like, which means, and kind of brings us back to the meta narrative idea. Like, you got to look through the whole thing. Yes, the lens of the whole thing. You can't just. Well, this judge's story, I, I don't, you know, God says kill the babies or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you think, well, is this God's again, is this the, God's word to them? And again, what 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 it allows you the freedom, as some scholars do with the genocide passages, as some scholars say, this may have been what Israel understood as God telling them, but as they got to know God's character better, mm. they started to realize that's not really the heart of God. Well, how do you get at that? Is that just a liberal scholar? No, no. I mean, pay attention to this for a second. If you're listening to this, think about this. So you have Joshua, where there is this, like, destroy all the enemies. And then you have Jonah. And Jonah, Mm. the reason Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh is because, don't you think Jonah was raised on the stories of annihilate the, Mm. the enemies? And so God says, no, go to Nineveh and preach repentance to them. So he's okay with that. He's like, okay. But then they they do repent. And he's the, upset about it. And he's upset about it. <laughs> and we, it's easy for us to judge Jonah. We're like, Jonah, what a mm-hmm. what a moody prophet. No, Jonah was raised reading Joshua. Jonah was raised knowing that God that the enemies are bad. Mm-hmm. And so, but if you understand that the Bible is God patiently revealing Himself mm-hmm. to us, then you recognize that hey, hang on, Jonah, Joshua is not the whole story. Like, yes, God, maybe Joshua reveals to us that God has a no tolerance for evil because evil destroys us and God's mm-hmm. world. But that doesn't mean he literally wants us to annihilate people because you read Jonah and Jonah says, God, I knew you were full of compassion and mercy. Only time in scripture where someone states the truth about God's mercy and is mad about it. <laughs> right. Most of the time, God's mercy is good news. You know, for Jonah, it's bad news. And, and you recognize it's because we actually have not understood that mm. God's mercy is for everybody. But that's where the Old Testament is leading. And so by the time you get to Jesus, and Jesus starts healing a Samaritan woman, and or talking to a Samaritan woman, and, and, and raising the, 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 the woman's, the widow's son, the Samaritan widow's son, all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, why are you doing this to our enemies, the quote-unquote dogs? And Jesus is sort of like, don't you know, this is where the story was always going. Mm. Um, I think it's Luke five. Jesus says, "You you search the scriptures, you know, but you missed me." Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one I, I use the Marvel universe. Another analogy that kind of occurs to me, Aaron, is Harry Potter. I, I don't want to give it away. If you've not read all the Harry <laughs> Potter books, listener, this is your moment to pause the podcast. Yeah, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, but when you get to book seven, what do we find out about Snape? Mm-hmm. We find out that Snape was Dumbledore's most loyal. Um, ally in in Harry and the best thing for Harry, but it took us six and a half books before we realized Snape is one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. And now you go, so you read Harry Potter on a second pass, and all of a sudden you see Snape differently. I think that's what ha- what's that's mm-hmm. what like what you're describing is once you see where God was always headed, Jesus, the final word, God's fullest and final word on everything. Mm-hmm. Then you go back and you read it, and you're like, ah, imperfect Israel was missing. The boat here and there. This prophet got it right. This prophet got it wrong. This, you know, and like you said, God doesn't clean up the messes. Mm-hmm. Part of the beauty of Him, like, like, why did God choose to reveal Himself that way? Like, wouldn't it have been easier if we just, He just gave us a textbook, like attribute number one, A to Z, you know? But I think the revealing Himself through story and a story of Him and His people, His imperfect people, is actually quite comforting to us. Mm-hmm. It says to us, you're not going to get it all right. Mm-hmm. And and knowing the truth is not the same thing as living the truth. And 
And if God was patient with Abraham, the great man of faith, who turned around and lied about his wife out of fear, you know, like, yeah. he's patient with you. He's patient mm-hmm. with me. And so, anyway. Yeah, I love that. And um, I think the... I, I hope and maybe maybe in some ways there's an encouragement here mm-hmm. for somebody who's like, you know, has the, I can't believe it a God like that. Mm-hmm. Or I, how could that happen? And, you know, as they read the Bible, I think like hopefully there's an encouragement. And, and you and I have certainly had lots of conversations over the years about mm-hmm. so many different aspects of theology and yeah. the Bible. And I think the encouragement is maybe you're right. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. maybe that isn't who God is. Yes. Maybe. Maybe there's some context. Maybe there's some history. Maybe there's some yes. ways that that you got taught a particular yes. way. Maybe the Bible was weaponized. Yes. Maybe um, maybe some things that that there's so much many more layers to yes. be able to discover or a bigger story to uncover. Um, which hopefully is instead of I can't believe in this and throw it away, mm-hmm. but actually I'm going to dig deeper. Yes, man, that would be our heart for anyone who's struggling is to say. Okay, it's that, it's that Tim Keller line. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe in him either. Yeah. You know, and 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 press in deeper. You know, um, one of the other kind of helpful reading strategies for people, Aaron, is to just again t- speaking of resources nowadays. I mean, you've got audio Bible on your U version app or whatever. Like, listen to an entire gospel mm. all the way through. Listen yeah. to one of Paul's letters all the way through. And I, I find not only is it more honest to the genre, like, I mean, think about Paul's letters. I mean, do any of us get a text or an email and only read one word and then yeah, stop? Yeah. You know, like, what do oh, you know? Half of it. Half of it, you know? Um, so you read the whole thing all the way through. A letter is a letter. A, a gospel is more of a narrative. Um, po- there's poetry in there. There's wisdom sayings. There's observations. There's prophetic speech. There's all, you know, all kinds of different genres in the Bible. And... Um, so so sometimes what can be helpful is to not get bogged down in the parts you don't understand mm. and just keep keep taking it in in large swaths. Mm. I'll sometimes say to people, you know, like immerse yourself in the narrative before you start looking for the imperatives. Mm. So before you start looking for the like, what must I do? Just soak yourself in the narrative mm. of it. Enter the story. Um, good study Bibles can help you enter the story because we're, we're distant from the Bible in a number of ways. We're distant chronologically. We're distant geographically. We're distant linguistically. It's a different language. We're dif- distant culturally, you know. Right. So, so gosh, man, I mean, again, these every time actually, you know, Bible the Bible Project has these video summaries on each book of the Bible. Mm, so good. Right. So, you know, you're sitting down to read Ruth. Okay, watch their five-minute video on Ruth mm-hmm. first. And uh, so you're entering that story, but... Ultimately, you want the story to enter you. Mm-hmm. You want the Word of God to get inside you and mess with you. One of my favorite um, passages in this, I, th- I think it's um, Ezekiel. God says to the prophet, like, eat the scroll. So he eats it and it tastes like honey in his mouth. And then in Revelation, John has a similar encounter with an angel. says, eat the scroll. And I, you know, I half wonder if John's like, I'm the new Ezekiel. Sweet, I'm going to mm. eat this, and it's going to taste like honey. And it says it was sweet in his mouth, but then it turned his stomach sour. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like eating Taco Bell after midnight. You know, like it was a good <laughs> idea at the time. But, but if the Bible isn't messing with you, then then mm. maybe it hasn't entered you yet. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of goes back to your question about the authority of Scripture. Is we do have to let it rearrange some of the furniture of our life. We do have to say, okay, God. I don't want to just enter its story as if I'm in charge. I want to let it enter me and, and mess with me and, and rearrange things in me and upset my stomach, quote unquote, um, because it, it should. It should convict us. It should mm-hmm. challenge us. Yeah. 
maybe to end here, I, you know, there's so many Bible study tools and, mm-hmm. and books and podcasts and Bible project and all the different things. And we'll list some of those things uh, on our website, um, some of the overview videos mm-hmm. and maybe even a couple of good books and mm-hmm. some things like that. At the end of the day, that is for a greater purpose. That's it. Yes. Like, yes. like we don't, the, knowing the Bible in and of itself isn't the goal. It is a means right. to an end. That's right. Ultimately, the means to an end is knowing Jesus. Yes. And becoming more like him. Exactly right. You know, um, so so there's, what's the, like to, that the, the, the gap can be big. Yes, yes. I mean, for all of us, there's a gap between who we are and who Jesus is and mm-hmm. our journey to becoming more like mm-hmm. him. But scripture plays a part in that formational yeah. process for yeah. us. Can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe even like personally, but like, what does it look like? Yeah. You know, you're like, I'm just reading this and... Man, I'm so glad you said that, Aaron. I had a I had a professor in my undergrad at ORU who said we read the Bible to know God and to become his people, mm-hmm. you know? And it 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 is like this taking this in us so that we know how to, our instincts get transformed. One of the great um lessons we've learned from the spiritual formation tradition of books, Dallas Willard, you know, habits, all of this stuff is is the the goal is for this to become reflexive. You take it in until it becomes like, oh, this is who I am. Um, N.T. Wright does this marvelous metaphor of Shakespeare actor, Shakespearean mm-hmm. actors, you know, who let's say they've internalized and memorized Shakespeare and all his plays, and then let's say we discovered a new Shakespeare play, but it was unfinished, and the, we only had the first four acts, and the fifth act mm-hmm. was missing. These actors could improv on stage because they know Shakespeare's mm-hmm. moves. And I think that's the idea for us. Is is Take in the Bible so much that when you are, quote unquote, improvising with your life, you know what to do. You know how to live this out. It, mm. it is meant to not just be gathered data. It's meant to it's meant to actually shape your instincts. Now you're, you're thinking, as Eugene Peterson would say, thinking with a biblical imagination. Mm-hmm. You're starting to say, oh, maybe I'm like Moses, or maybe this person is like, maybe, and you don't want to get too far with this. You know, you got to be careful of main character energy, as the kids say. <laughs> um, you know, so I said, enter the story, let the story enter you. But maybe the third thing there is that Jesus is the center of the story. Mm. So as long as you keep moving towards Jesus as the center of the story, your instincts begin to be shaped um, so that you begin to become like Jesus. Mm. I think it's Dallas Willard's phrase, spiritual, the goal of discipleship or spiritual formation is that your life begins to look like what it would look like if Jesus was living your life. Mm-hmm. Like if Jesus had your job and your you know, friends and all that, what would how would he inhabit that? Mm-hmm. Well, how do we know? We know as we fall in love with the Jesus revealed in scriptures, mm-hmm. the living word himself, the word of God, Jesus. And and his written word begins to speak uh, um, to us so that we see him. And as we see him, we become like him, then our instincts get transformed, mm-hmm. our impulses get transformed, our motivations get transformed. So for me personally, over the years, sometimes that's meant reading large chunks of the Bible, but honestly, more often than not, it's reading small chunks of the Bible mm-hmm. and reading them prayerfully. Mm-hmm. So I'll read 10 verses and stop and pray, Holy Spirit, what are you saying mm-hmm. to me today? Read it again. What are you saying to me, Holy Spirit? And then something will will come will, will come alive to me, and I'll hear the Lord breathing mm. these words to me again. And then I'll say, "Okay, God, give me the grace to live out like that, or to be careful, beware of this temptation or this thing." And so, um, but don't be discouraged. You know, mm-hmm. this is a cumulative, lifelong journey, and the, the the goal is just another day to to walk closer to Jesus and mm-hmm. to know Him through His Word. Yeah, and I think there's days, you know, like what you just described 
most days never going to feel very profound. No. You know, you might every now and then, every <laughs> once in a blue moon, yep. have this really profound moment. Yep. But other than that, it just feels like a little drop. Mm -hmm. And over time, little drops of water can fill a swimming pool. Yes. Yes. Um, and so if we sometimes like, what am I doing? What is this? What difference does this make? Yeah. But to continually con and, and cumulatively allow the power of the word to get mm -hmm. inside of us, that we are hearing these things, remembering these things, and they are shaping us, yes. even if we don't feel shaped yes. in the moment. Amen. Yeah. Well, I know you and I could talk about this for a long time. Uh, <laughs> and even in this, I think I got conversations we're going to have after this podcast. Um, but so, but we need to land the plane. So I would love for you just to take a moment and maybe pray mm. uh, to close us out here and just pray for mm. um, wherever people might be with their relationship with the Bible. Um, and especially, of course, then the relationship with Jesus. Mm. As a result, um, before you do that, I just want to remind everybody um, of the resources that are available on our blog on um, in terms of uh, resources for studying the Bible, as well as the messages from this series. Uh, we want to be people who love the scriptures, not just because we love the book, but because we love the person Jesus revealed in the book. Um, and because we are passionate about understanding God and reflecting God into the world, which is um, one of our primary callings is to be reflectors of the image of God into, into our world. So, um, so make it a lifelong pursuit and lean into all of that. But Glenn, would you pray for yeah. us? Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus, we, we love you and we're so grateful to be called by your name. Father, we thank you that we have been brought into your family Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the one who speaks, mm -hmm. uh, not just the God who spoke, um, but the God who speaks. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would breathe the Word of God into our hearts again. Mm -hmm. And for those who maybe never started this journey, who maybe feel intimidated, Lord, would you help mm -hmm. them to take the tiniest step, to just dip their toe in the water, maybe just a, a little um, section of Scripture they begin reading. But God, I pray that as they do, that you would cause their hunger to grow, that all of a sudden they become hungrier and hungrier and hungrier uh, to know you and to know you through your word. And uh, I pray that uh, for all of us, maybe those who've been doing this for a long time, that the more we read of your word, let it be like giving a painter more colors to paint with. Mm -hmm. The more we know of your word, give us more, give, it's like we're giving you, Holy Spirit, more colors to paint a more beautiful picture of Jesus, the, the beautiful one. Uh, and that our eyes would be would be drawn to see him. Lord, at the end of all of this, we want to behold you, and we want to become like the one that we're beholding. Mm -hmm. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen.